Hello guys and welcome to the podcast, sat in my living room, I'm very pleased to say on the sofa with a massive man, Mark Hopkins, a former Brit, well current British uh, Gridiron Hall of Fame, I don't think you ever get thrown out of the no, Hall of Fame, do no, you? No, no, I hope uh, not. To uh, <laughs> American footballer, offensive uh, lineman uh, through the 1980s, career bricklayer as well, father, grandfather, and uh, great to see you, Mark, back from Ireland. How are you doing? Yes, hi, Ed. Yeah, lovely. Um, had a lot of fun in Ireland, yes. It was, uh, it was great fun, as, um, as, <laughs> as it often is. Gorway's a marvellous part, part of the, uh, the world, and we, 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 we always look for the draw when Gloucester get into Europe, so we can, we can head over there and use Gloucester as an excuse to go and have some yeah. fun. Yeah, you know? watching Gloucester rugby. I mean, it is amazing. It's a, it's a kind of cliche, but I coached football for Man United soccer schools over there and went a couple of years ago for a stag do in Cork, and... When you go to Ireland, it's just it's proper friendly. Like it, re, yeah. it redefines what friendly is, isn't it? Is yeah, it? and and they don't need an excuse to be in a big chat. Lots of people come up and use that as an excuse to to have a conversation or or, or break the ice a little bit. But yeah. over there, it's not the case at all. They're just like they're just <laughs> in, in, it's great fun. Yeah, yeah. So so rugby's your your fandom now. You're retired, so you you're doing that. But obviously, American football's your love. But it's. Yeah. It's a different thing, and I, I lived in the states, so I, I kind of know that uh, of sports over there. And I've covered basketball here as well after covering it in the states, and it's difficult sometimes for these embryonic sports in this country to to take off, particularly because we've got our football, our soccer, which it dominates. But what was your what was your childhood like then? Because you're saying it a bit like mine. You, you grew up in different countries, and that yeah. that shaped maybe where you ended up. <coughs> yes, um, two years old or. Eighteen months old, um, Dad was uh, accepted a, a post in Singapore. Dad worked for GCHQ, so not forces, but um, so straight from Cheltenham to Singapore. Straight from Cheltenham to Singapore, and, and I didn't, you know, it was just I didn't know much about it. I was eighteen months old, but as you grow through that, spent nearly nine years there, and so all my formative years, I would come home quite often with with my parents. So I was in touch with grandparents, and I knew yeah. what was going on back at home. You kind of understood about snow and about the cold and all the rest of it, but yeah. I lived a tropical sort of upbringing um, and loved every second of it. I, I don't ever remember. It was, it, it was almost a privileged upbringing. It, it was a normal upbringing just in a... So you typically come back at this time of, of year, sort of Christmas time. Well, different times. I mean, once I got to about nine years old, um, my, my, my dad would put me on what was called an indulgence flight. So... I'd jump on a RAF VC-10, or I'd actually go to the to the Salita Airport in Singapore, and, and I'd be handed over to a stewardess who'd hold my hand pretty much all the way home. <laughs> um, a, 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 an old RAF VC-10, well, they weren't old then, but VC-10s, Enterprise, grandparents would pick me up, and six weeks later I'd do the trip in reverse. So, and I would do that so you wouldn't sometimes. see your folks for six weeks? Yeah, and I would do that sometimes at Easter for a couple of weeks. Yeah. You know, some people would say, well, it's a long way to fly. Then it was 21, 22-hour flight. But it's just but an air hostess a, looking after you. And that's quite time. nice to the young boy. I had that once on a trip, like an air hostess looking after you. is nice. Yeah. Isn't it? For, also, though, you've got to remember, for 11, a 10, 9, 10, 11, 12-year-old, it's an adventure. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you know? yeah. And you've got all these, all these army dudes that are sitting there <laughs> with, with their webbing on, and you can go and talk to them, and some of them would talk back. Yeah. And they'd tell you a few stories, and it was great. Time flew by. I loved it. It was great, great fun. It's interesting just to talk about this time of year because I lived, um, my dad was a doctor and he was an anaesthetist out on, and it's more popular, more widely known now, but it wasn't at the time, 
in the sort of late 1980s when I was at about four or five, it was uh, Turks and Caicos Islands, mm. Grand Turk in the, in the Caribbean. Mm. And we lived there and we lived literally, it was this island that was seven miles long, one mile wide, the capital island, Grand Turk, although it's one of the smaller ones actually, the one that people know is, is Providenciales or, or Provo now. Um, but we used to come home from school, we had this shack school with Mrs Newman, it was brilliant. We were way, mm. way ahead of other people when we mm. came back, it was, it was bizarre. But she'd teach us in this shack, we'd come down, after school, just run down the beach, go into the water. And that was like pretty much 12 months a year was like yeah. that. And we come back. And it, it, for me, it's always at this time of year, I always feel a bit of an energy low because I was. I think those formative years, mm. spending that in the sun and the, and the sea, it's, it's sometimes tricky in this country. Yeah, I never forget. I'll never forget. We swam, I mean, I would go to school from home and then the school would drop us at the Singapore Swimming Club where <laughs> mum was or dad would end up. Yeah. And it was a different lifestyle. It's a, it was just <clears throat> one that was... For me, it was a, just a big adventure, and it's what we did. I didn't know anything different. But was, it, felt, was it an international school that you went to? Then? Uh, I went to a, a forces school. Yeah, at Salita RAF base, and um, that was delightful. But it wasn't. I didn't get the best education. I don't think in terms of academics. Yeah, I wasn't an academic when I left school. I left school with very little, but I was. I was a fairly sharp, bright kid because I'd travelled, and there's an education in travelling. Yeah, as you'll know through through Europe, through through what you, I mean, you, where, where you were, you know. Brought up, you sort of realise there's a lot of similarities between people rather than differences. Yeah, don't you think don't, a lot of people worry about national differences, but when you've been travelling, you realise actually people are kind of the same, they just do slightly Especially at that time, in the late 60s, early 70s, it was very different. I mean, I, I would come back, and in those days you could plug in and out of school. So I went to Norton Park School in Cheltenham yeah. when I was here, and that was frequently, and Mrs Kennedy would always welcome me back. She was a fabulous teacher, and um, I would just plug in. So there's no kind of continuity, but I was I'm still getting an less education. sort of because they seem to have regular exams and stuff now. School. Well, the friends. Stuff, it's funny because friends of mine, I would talk about very complacently talk about flying and 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 doing whatever, and yeah, nobody in the school had been on an airplane. Yeah, nobody except me. Yeah, it's quite that's rare. That's very different yeah. now. Yeah. Um. So I felt not privileged. I just felt a little different. But being, you know, being. <laughs> I, I mentioned earlier school photographs of me at 10, 12, 13 years old. I look like the teacher at the end yeah. of the row. Because <laughs> you're, you're six, because I'm you're, such a big man. You're 6'5 right? now, but you seem, you seem bigger because you've just got a massive frame, massive, yeah. massive hands, and yeah, big, it's, uh, big, big guy. Um, that's my, you've got my mother and father to thank for that. Well, my mother probably <laughs> clear your plate, you know, all that kind of stuff. See, that was probably the big, was he your size? Dad, biggest, no, biggest, dad, biggest scientist at G, GCHQ. That was, was a he? fairly big man. Um, yeah. He was 6'1, yeah. 14 and a half. 15 stone yeah so you know in 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 those days that was a very relatively big man was yeah big handsome dude he was he was my role model in my life he's not with us now bless him um but he was my role model he's a man i wanted to be so i had a marvelous uh, a marvelous role model in that yeah um just his you know he went he, he one of the things i learned from dad was he went every day went to work every day loved his kids loved his wife and kind of did the right thing but was 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 always was was a liked person, mm. was a friendly guy. Yeah. You know, maybe... Made a positive, in, positive I just impact. think so. I think, I don't know... I don't know many people that didn't like him. Sometimes people, people will very rarely say, I didn't like your dad. Yeah. But they won't, they, they won't say that. They'll say either he was a great guy and we loved him, or they won't say anything. Yes. And everybody says what a great guy yeah. he was and... and Guess when it's all said and done, that's almost what legacy you, you do want in life, isn't it? You, get, yeah. you start to think about anything, actually making a positive impression on people you as try. much as you can, being consistent. Is, I think it's nice thing. to have those role models. I mean, it doesn't always uh, equate, but for me, 
he was the man I wanted to be, and 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 I still want to be that guy, you know. Yeah. So, and it was fun. It was a different world, though. I mean, it's a bit like, like sport, though. It gives you a standard to live up to. That you sort yeah, of Dad wasn't a sportsman. He was a pretty good tennis player, but um, come where where we were brought up, um, where we lived, and and Dad, uh, Mum and Dad uh, went on once I'd become eighteen, nineteen, and moved on with my life. Yeah. Mum and Dad still travelled with with the job, but he was. So was he a member down at the tennis club near Norton Park? Uh, no, he played. He, no, he wasn't. He played tennis at the civil service club. Okay. So, but he was, you know, he was okay. Did it for fun and yeah. had a lower back issue. But, um, uh, so you know, it, but he wasn't a big sports fan. You know, mm. he was a Leicester City fan. God bless him. He loved. <laughs> he loved the likes of Keith Weller and. Was Kevin he from Beattie. Leicester? Then? No, no. He, he was born and born and raised in Gloucester. Um, but it's quite I think usually in those days, to I have think that he kind of liked. I think he, I mean Leicester had a bit of a sort of flamboyant team with like guys like Frank Worthington and Keith. Oh Bowen. yeah, yeah. And I think he liked the way they interviewed. Yeah. And I think he he spent some time in Leicester working uh, at Montford Mont, Mont, University. Yeah, I think. yeah, so yeah. I think he yeah. Bid, bid a little bit of time there doing doing one or two conferences and stuff. So he just had an affiliation, but he was not a football fan. He just. Occasionally would like it. Did he, well, he didn't see him. In tw- was he passed away before twenty sixteen when they won the, yeah, oh yeah. the Premier League? Yeah, yeah. bless him. Yeah, yeah. He, and I don't think it would. He would have been. Yeah, great. But he wouldn't. <laughs> have, he wasn't a big massive no. fan, you know. <laughs> so, wait, wait, so, was sport for you in Singapore growing up? You're telling me before we having a cup of tea that that it was badminton you were playing. Quite yeah, up. well, it, you know, there, there was no. They didn't play football. We didn't play rugby. We didn't play cricket. Although yeah. there was cricket played. Um, uh, at Victoria, at one of the one of the center one of the the, the center of Singapore, but. We didn't play much. I didn't get involved in that much. Tennis and badminton was what I tended to do, and swim. Yeah. Um. I mean, I was great for strength. Extreme, extremely strong swimmer, and and you dive off all kinds of stuff. It, you just did it every day, so you become a very strong swimmer. Um, that, was that a good sort of? Do you think core fitness for for later on? I don't know. I think basically I was a I was a I was a big kid. I was a fat kid, big kid, uh, who who wanted to be active, and, and yeah. I think that. It's funny, really. People talk to me now about, well, you know, are you big because you've worked out? Are you big because you've played? And I said, no, I'm big because I'm greedy. I didn't slip <laughs> on a bar of soap and get yeah. fat, you know. But to be I fair, mean, though, the size of your hands and shoulders and stuff like yeah. that, that is genetics, isn't it? So well? it, I understand for, for the audience, I'm, I'm not fat, fat. I'm just a big man. Mm. But um, for some people, it's very difficult. I had a friend of mine who used to talk years ago. I'm, I'm quite friendly with people like Mike Teague and legendary British Lion and Gloucester player. Yeah. And, and um, or I'm not friendly, but I I, I know Mike T quite well and Phil Vickery quite well, and yeah. know him through the Winston Wish um, Foundation and some other stuff. Yeah. But I remember talking to Mike T one day, and, and a friend of mine who's a, a little scaffolder, bless him, and he said to me, "We're going to meet. We're going to meet Mike T today. He's massive. <laughs> he's huge. This yeah. guy's huge legend." I said, yeah, I know, yeah, I've, I mean, he's a builder. And so this is a long time ago. And, and during the so this was even game. Mike Teague was a distinguished player, but in those days, amateur still. Amateur, fo- amateur rugby player, but a, but a, a super, a legend of yeah. rugby, you know. So we meet, we meet, and, and there's a few people around, and uh, this friend of mine is looking, and he can't believe that I'm sort of, I mean, I'm probably two inches taller than Teague, <laughs> and probably three stone heavier and a bit broader in the shoulders. Yeah. Not as fit, I'm yeah. probably, you know, I'm, I'm, but I mean, it, it was an example of, People that know you and around you all the time that you you don't you don't seem to be as big as you are. Yeah. And when you meet new people, you know that's when you get a, that sort of presence issue. You know. Yeah. Um. I was <clears throat> when I was younger. But you're friendly guys, well, because that I mean that almost is I guess when you when you're big guys, it's kind of necessary as well, isn't it? I think I think it's hard because 
you know, my career in, in, as an American football... I went to play rugby, preempting that. I came back from the States. The old Pats got over me and a local rugby team and said, come play some rugby. What position were they wanting Well, they to had me... First of all, they played me at number eight because I had good feet, could move. Yeah. But I didn't know the game. Yeah. I didn't have a clue what was going on. And that's, that's almost like you, you kind of, with the scrum half, you're kind of running the game, aren't you? Sure. Now, in this day and age, if a guy my size comes along at 15, 16... They'll, and he has no clue, they'll look at the athlete and they'll say, how can we, how can we make him a rugby player? Mm. So in those days, I went from the fourth team, well, at that size and with those feet, you can play in the first team. <laughs> well, I just got the, the kicked out of me, you know? Yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. ridiculous. So, of course, then I didn't want to go back. I thought, well, this isn't fun. Yeah. And I don't and know this day, because now people might be thinking, who are listening to this, might think, actually, why wouldn't you be a rugby player? Because there's, sure. there's money in it to a certain extent. Not as much right. as football. It wasn't there. Not yeah, as much as soccer, sure. but it was, an am- it was an amateur game. Very, so actually, very much, yeah. you, If you're going to choose rugby, you may as well choose anything in, it, in, that, in that time. Yeah, and I went because a few friends, um, a few friends came along. I remember there was one, there was one guy, a coach, uh, Longy, um, uh, nice guy. Mm. And he talked to his son went on to become a very good rugby player actually. But he talked a little bit about uh, you need to do this, you need, but no real coaching. Yeah. And I was just on the back foot, and and con- you know if you're a step behind, you have to decide days, when the ball comes out of the scrum, yeah. what you do with it. Do you, and I just wasn't, yeah. I wasn't into it, so um, I just, I just didn't carry it on. And then I, I was playing football, um, soccer, if you like. Uh, at a local level, um, goalkeeper, a bit of centre half, just very local level. Yeah. Mid mid leagues, nothing special, not very good, just just local. Loving it and having great fun. Were we playing central defender or goal- I goalkeeper? I played a little bit of centre half, but I was mainly a goalkeeper. Yeah. yeah. I was. I mean, my my, uh, I played with a guy who I'm still friendly with now, Paul Mumford, and he. He always knew when I went up for a header, he used to back off 10 yards <laughs> to a target because it was going to come off the top of the head. A flick off the head, yeah. So I was not any good, but I, I, it was great fun to be round it. Good team spirit, isn't yeah. it, I think, with local... It we'll, call it, we'll call it soccer, because otherwise, like we said before, it gets a little confusing, confusing doesn't it, with American, American, American football. football yeah. um, but there, there's a good... And there's so many levels of football. We'll, we'll talk Soccer, sorry, mm. we'll talk about that in, in terms of the... The UK, but it's interesting with the badminton and tennis because there's a lot of lateral foot movement, and mm. we'll go on to talk about American football. But being an offensive lineman as as you ended up, there's there's a similar kind of foot movement in there, isn't there? It's funny with sport. You you, I I came back, I came back from uh, I was fourteen, fifteen, fourteen really when I came back from travelling or living abroad, yeah. getting on with my life, and then you know sixteen, seventeen, you you you're looking for something. So I was playing. I was pretty good at some stuff. I, at 14, 15, I did some athletics. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of badminton played at schools in this country. So I, I would do that in after-school clubs and stuff and was yeah. good. And I'm always playing the teachers. Um, a fellow called Jim Davis, Mick Miller were great athletic teachers. And, and that was a big, it's a big... Well, it is a big sport in Asia, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Badminton. Yeah, well, yeah, it is, yeah. And I, I, again, I would play these teachers, usually beat them. We'd have a bit of fun, a bit of banter. <laughs> I skied a little bit. I was able to go skiing, which was... Obviously, being a bigger chap, you get a bit of momentum, so that was oh, fun. I've only been skiing twice, and my wife always makes fun of me because I went with her family like about 10 years ago now, but she was uh, they were waiting for me at the bottom of the slopes. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming down as a bit. Yeah, I don't <laughs> ski anymore. I, I, I skied when I was at school for until I was about 20. I used to go as a chaperone once school left. The school would always go, and so, so the, the teachers would say, Look, can you come? We'd like you to come. It, 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 you've still got to pay, but we, we, you can act as a chaperone oh, okay. for the kids. So I did that for a few years. I think till I was about eighteen. Yeah. But and 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 it was fun. But I mean, I wasn't any. I was just a recreational skier. It was fun. Yeah. But you're trying to find a sport. I, I, when I was fourteen, fifteen, I got 
thrown into athletics. Um, so I was... You didn't try to find a sport, you just feel that you wanted I wanted a sport to do something. I was an active hobby, kid. Yeah. I yeah. was active. I lived... Yeah. I spent six months in Ascension Island and all I did was climb, not rock climbing, but climb rocks mm. and climb whatever. And it, I loved... It was great to be active. Yeah. And I was fine trying to find... I didn't know then, but I was trying to find something. Athletics was good for me. What, what athletics were you Well, I, I started... I used to go to the athletics club and then all of a sudden they put a discus and a shot put in me under Yeah, me. I was going to say, and yeah. It's, and it's, you know, the, the, the shot put is, is been put a long way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm reasonable at that. So the next thing I know, I'm at, I'm at Gloucester's Harriers. Yeah. And then I'm in the southwest of England club. And next thing I know, I'm competing for sort of South England schools. Yeah. As a shot putter, not so much a discus, but as a shot putter. And meeting people, uh, people like Rob, Robert Weir, who went on to become Olympians. For, mm. Now, I wasn't as good as him, obviously, but <laughs> I, wasn't, I was close. Yeah. Richard Slaney is a guy that... Well, it's funny, isn't it? Because you talk about, like, nature, nurture, or people doing what, what you know, people made, or are they born, and, and there are certain things, like shot put, that you kind of need a, a physiology and a size and power to... Again, quick naturally. feet, quick across the circle, and could turn quick. So reasonably athletic for a big man. Yeah. I wasn't as powerful as, 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 Robert, as Robert was, and certainly Richard, who was a very big kid. Yeah. Um, famously went on to marry Mary Decker and, and, oh. and live that, lived that life in the States, but... Um, they were they were a little further down the line than me, but it was great to compete. Yeah. And then later on in my my life, when I saw these dudes compete, I was wow, you know. But <laughs> I mean, that, that gives you some idea. And then so you're just experimenting and trying a little bit. Yeah. And then uh, and then really, I I, I just kind of got on with. I met I met my my future wife Rachel, who's still my wife, when we were eighteen, and and sort of. And it's a bit cheesy, but we did. We just kind of fell in love. It was it was that kind of thing. And you weren't you weren't torn then between having a hobby and having a girlfriend. You felt no, like no. It was idea. no, no, it, no. That for sport when when you've got a pretty girl on your arm and and and, and um, <laughs> sport doesn't matter then. It's all it's all about pretty girls, you know. Yeah. And well, was, they quite often like you playing sport at that age before. Yeah, you yeah. yeah. She was she was great fun, and she I would I would uh, I'd go off on tours occasionally with football and and have some fun like that, and and but we got on great, and and all of a sudden. You know, we're caught in, we're engaged, and then we're married very early. So I was married at uh, at nineteen. Um, wow! Did that give you a base? Did it of support throughout, uh, to do things throughout life? Maybe. Yeah, I think it's a funny. I mean, I was due. My wife and I were due to be married in um, in. Um, I mean, to, to the full picture is my wife and I would date to be married in eighty three. My my parents yeah. would have been coming home from 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 Singapore, but. We found that we were pregnant, so we decided. <laughs> That's very modern of you to say so we, we're we're well, pregnant. Is the, we found the that we one. were pregnant, so we decided that we were going to get married. And and, and, and no, there was no part of me was not going to be have a child. I was not going to have a child born out of wedlock. Yeah, I don't. I'm not religious. I don't criticize those that do. And I, yeah. I don't. I just for me, I wanted to prove for the and, child, and, yeah. and just to say like you know here you go. Let's look. Look, I don't care about eighty three. Let's get married. Yeah. Anyway. It worked out for us. We're, we've been happily now for happily married for thirty eight years. Amazing, and, and we're we're yeah. I mean, I was. I it's like winning the lottery. When I went, met Rachel, for me, it's like winning the lottery. She's perfect. And yeah, I know that's a bit cheesy. I don't mean it to, but I'm quite <laughs> proud of that. So well, I think sometimes in life it it helps you adapt because you learn to compromise early and build a life together, don't you? Which is interesting because now because well, we got, yeah. me and my wife got together early 20s mid 20s but that's quite not usual nowadays where a lot of people try and do it in their 30s where maybe 
you've got your own path, you've got yeah. your own own likes and dislikes. Which is and, which is great because if it work if it works for you, you you've already set your path. Yeah, you've built your future, you've built your fortune. Just trying to combine together can be trickier sometimes. The balance is always the key, isn't it? Yeah. Finding a balance in life and. I didn't. My wife and I never had a choice. But Stephen had come along, and and, and bless him, you know, a, a, a smashing kid. And <laughs> anyway, we were very, I was hugely proud yeah. uh, of being a dad. And my father gave me some great advice. You know, I was I was kind of twenty, really. I was just twenty when he was born, and and I had to find a place to live, and we had to get a mortgage, we had to do all these kind of things, and yeah. I'd just come out of my apprenticeship as a brick as a bricklayer, so it was all a bit daunting. And my father said to me once, just calm down, think about things in, 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 in little chunks. One foot at a time. Yeah. One foot in front of the other. And just so what did he make of you being a bricklayer then as a, as a scientist? Well, it's interesting because he wanted me to join the police force. Oh, okay. And, and to, to be honest, I came out of, I came out of school and um, I wrote probably 12 letters to local companies, Doughty's, Smith's Industries, um, Spirex Sarco, local bills, William Moss Construction. Um, Ford and Westerns, these kind of things, and the police force to appease my, to just please dad. <laughs> I didn't have the academics to yeah. go to GCHQ or banking or anything like that. I just wasn't a- academic. I was mm. mildly dyslexic as well, which didn't find out till a bit later on. But Yeah, because didn't um, pick up on it in those days so much. No. But my father said, look, you get an interview, you'll get a job, because you'll interview really well. Yeah. And I went, okay, well, listen, I've written these. In, these. And he made me write them and not copy. Mm-hmm. I had to write each individual letter. Well, on the back of that, I got, I got 11 replies with 11 interviews <laughs> from 12. And one, one company never even replied. Fair enough. So I went to some of these interviews. It's pretty good going, though, isn't it? Yeah. That's pretty good. I went to the interview. I went to Doughty's. And with the greatest respect to Doughty's, it was not for me. I didn't want to be in a factory. Mm. I, I just wasn't going to be for me. I was offered a position. Would it be outdoors? You've, yeah, yeah. I, I thought I did. And yeah. No builders in the, in the family. Um, yeah. Nothing at all. The police force, I went to Hendon and did a course and then they said, I got written to again and said, look, we'd like to come back. So it got to a point where I had to either sign on the line yeah. or not. The, the issue was the academics. Um, they were not so academically, they, they didn't worry about that so much like they do now. But in those days, it was more about uh, the interview process. I, mm. was, I interviewed well. I was the right sort of character, they felt. Yeah. Good, you know, beat Bobby, village yeah. Bobby, that kind of thing, Good you know. Point. Big guy as well, you know. That kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, in those days, a presence mattered. And yeah. Anyway, I, I was offered lots of positions. I decided to... I like the idea of a bricklayer. Yeah. We'd had some work done two years previous to me finishing, just as we got home from, from, from travelling uh, back at home. Mum and Dad had some work done on the house. Had a garage built, a, a, a party wall knocked down, some other stuff. And there was a, fellow, uh, <laughs> a, a chap called Dave Prout. Yeah local bricklayer and he was he was quite a considered man I'd see him I, this was Lecampton and I'd see him wandering down the the sort of bath road as a 14 year old and he had his trilby on and his pipe out the side and he's had his shoes <laughs> really? on polished and a very dis- dis- distinguished bricklayer very, yeah. and he was very considered people would morning Dave yeah morning Dave and and very considered and I thought everyone knows they need a bricklayer at some I point. want to be like that guy you yeah know? yeah and I liked what I saw when I was a kid I was watching out the window and stood out there helping him carry bricks at 14 15 and that must have stuck yeah. Anyway, I, I became an apprentice bricklayer and um, was my, my, uh, a local chap put up at Bishop's Cleeve at Smith's Industries, which the company I worked for did the maintenance there, so I had a year there. Uh, my bricklayer was a chap called Larry Goring, a master bricklayer, again, a very considered chap, proper mm. old school. Um, you have to be calm, don't you, to be a bricklayer? Well, I think. 
it was funny when I when I became when I this was nineteen seventy seven I wanted to become a bricklayer. It was because bricklayers were considered men. They were men that were respected, most yeah. like, like carpenters and so mm. on and so forth. But to be honest, a few years later, it, when it, the, the industry changed a little bit, and it was kind of lock up your daughters, the bricklayers are here, you know. <laughs> and and it was a, a little different. I think maybe um, it's gone back now. That I think people really appreciate, particularly everyone's has. sitting on working on computers. They appreciate people who can use their hands and do things. I think. I think in my I've been retired two years now, but I did forty years, and I think towards the last um, probably seven eight years of my career the older school bricklayer yeah my time time served um was 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 in more demand and there's ca- a lot of um, characters and people who are of good character who can you know are a known yeah. quantity that you hire someone uh, and know what it's going to cost yeah i mean I, I you know trade's the trade but i think sometimes if you've got some people skills as well yeah you can um i mean you know your house is the biggest thing you'll ever buy and spend in it's the, the, the single most money you'll ever spend in your life and someone comes in and starts knocking it about. Yeah. It's very, very difficult. You've got to trust those people. And uh, well, some interesting brickwork next door. There, they just moved in and uh, the guys knocked a wall down, I think, and then they rebuilt it. But it looks a bit weird, for, even for me. I don't know. <laughs> You'd probably well, be a better judge. Of, I don't know. But and I mean, that won't say too much about. They do. About that. They, people do want some weird and wonderful things built. Um, yeah. And as long as you, as long as the trick is to make it look like it's supposed to be funky, you know. Yeah. If it's just built and it's just ooh. Yeah, you've got cement everywhere. It looks yeah, like that's it's a bit tatty, messy. But I mean, so, so and that's quite difficult to do. Yeah. It's very difficult to make something look very old. Yes. Um, it yeah. really is because you, your, your mindset, your skill set tells you to be perfect, to be not oh, perfect. Oh, I see but, what you mean, yeah. You know, so it's difficult to do. But, um, so you do it, so you do it, so you're starting a career in bricklaying and then did American football come in at that time? Yeah, well, it's funny, move that story on. Um, married, getting on with life. Um, you know, I'm playing a bit of local football, but I'm not really doing much at all. And then, Fast forward to 1984, mm. I'm reading the local Echo. Yeah. Our local Gloucestershire, Gloucestershire Echo, Echo yeah. yeah. And I see a little advert in the sports page that said, you've seen it on Sundays on telly. <laughs> yeah. Come and have a go. American <laughs> football, Stanford Park, two o'clock. So it had come on to TV in the UK. 1982 it started. Channel 4 started doing, I mean, World of Sport played it once. One, you, you get a 15-minute Super Bowl highlight. Yeah. Six weeks after the Super Bowl it's was amazing, over. isn't it? In, 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 from Nowadays you get on your phone in 20 seconds, yeah. but it's a different... But, so, but that's but I mean, huge it, for a generation in this country, in the UK, of American football fans, was born then, that still still exists. First today. generation, yeah. I mean, I'm... You go back to 82, we're watching it on TV, so there's, a, there's I think, the first... I think the first people, that the first few TV audience was 750,000, rising up to something like 4 million. Which is big now. Now, well, 4 million will send ripples across the pond yeah. to the NFL, you know, the big <laughs> yeah. dudes. You know, it'll send ripples across and there's an interest here um so you know we 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 move on to eight i I go along in 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 84 watching it watching it and and lots of people are watching i go along in 1984 to sanford park yeah and um by the line (laughs) yeah not quite sure what i'm seeing there's all kinds of there's people with hockey hats and crash helmets and (laughs) they've got sponge stuck under their shoulders and they've got track suits tucked in and because that's the thing about the NFL, it's all got the uniform and the equipment seems to be a big defining very, aspect of it. It was very odd that when you're walking into that first session. There was a couple of guys, a fellow called uh, Eugene, who's a local chap, worked for the local dairy, had two kids that were, uh, he was American, I think his wife was English, so they were here, so he knew the game, Yeah. but wasn't a coach or anything, just knew the game. Yeah. There was, well, that, hours. there was another guy, and they were kind of taking the lead, and they... You know, it kind of, over a few weeks, it got 
organised. Yeah. Um, so what was the team called? The Cheltenham Chieftains. That, Cheltenham that Chieftains. team went on to become the Cheltenham Chieftains, which I didn't play for that team, actually. I actually played in one little kind of sand, what we call sandlot, pick-up football, mm. some game that was just put together, hastily put together against uh, West Brom, but it was non-pads, it was non-organised, no refs, just a bit of a scrimmage, really. <laughs> But I mean, I didn't. And did you have offensive and defensive teams? Yeah, well, doing everything? from that, from that, you could see you, when you start having a conversation five, six weeks into that, you start having a conversation with people, and you realise that it's not just here; it's everywhere. Yeah. So there's 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 primarily in 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 uh, areas of England where there was an RAF, a US Air Force base. Mm. Um, so so I found Oxford that, and well, uh, yeah. I think it's Northampton, Milton Keynes, yeah. you know, um, yeah, Swindon, yeah. So I find out there's a team in Swindon. So I think, well, I'll have a drive up. Drive up now. This is now completely different. They're all in the, they're all in the proper... <laughs> That's like an underground thing. movement, isn't it? They're all properly organised, you know? Oh. Proper coaching. Yeah. They've got guys coming in from the US Air Force Base to coach them. They're all in proper uniforms. The offence are practising in white. The defense they're named after the Pittsburgh Steelers. They were, right? they were, yeah, that, that came about because the guy that started the team was a Steelers fan. So ah, as simple okay. as that. Yeah. Um, and um, the Chieftains, I don't know where the Chieftains thing came from. It, it, it's... I don't know. Lots of teams. It's an NFL. It's not an NFL team. There's a Kansas City Chiefs, isn't there? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's a, there's a story, funny story that the the going back to that time. You, you you I went to Swindon. Great. This is for me. I love this. Very well organised. But then you find out that there's teams even further down the road. Yeah. One team, particularly London Ravens, the the standout team in this country for the first four or five years. They were London Ravens. Get that. There's a story actually, I don't know if it's true or not, but there's a story yeah, when the Baltimore Bal- Ravens. Yeah, yeah, when the Baltimore franchise came out, they were looking for a name. <laughs> and some guy that was an Air, an Air Force guy years ago who played for the Ravens was part of that organisation. It's a very loose story. <laughs> yeah. So, but so, so a, London might have. Well, he put, a helmet, he put a helmet down and said, How about the Ravens? Now, nice. that's a very loose story. I don't know if that's true or not, but it's, it's, if you, I'd like to think it's But the names and the animal it. references and stuff are part of, not obviously Chieftains is different, but they're, they're part of the iconic feel of, of NFL, mm. wasn't it? The Chicago yeah, Bears they, were yeah. big in the 80s, I think. The Green Bay Packers were because they were meat packers, you know? Yeah. And, and the, the, the Bears, because there was Papa Bear, George Hallis. And, yeah. and then, you know, some of the teams had evolved from other teams. Um, Cardinals came from a different part of the country that, that move, you know, franchises yeah. move. But soccer but, um, teams had nicknames. They never had that as part of them. I mean, the, uh, so it's Wanderers, Bolton Wanderers, but they had, I mean, Hull recently, the owner a few years ago, tried to call them the Tigers, which was their nickname, and no one liked that. They wanted to be called yeah, Hull with, yeah. you know, second reference, call them the Tigers. Yeah. But with yeah. uh, American football, it's always been part of the, the headline name. It's always been glitzy, though, isn't it? You yeah. Know, even, even back, I mean, American football in the States started in the 20s, and then it, it you know, very difficult time, and, and it was... It was very much second fiddle to college football. That was the thing. Yeah. College football in the States was... And it wasn't really until the late 60s when the, the amalgamation of the two, two leagues, you know, the, the, came yeah. the NFL, the AFL and the NFL, um, they, they became... Yeah, the first Super Bowl wasn't until the 67? 66, yeah. 66, yeah. 66. Well, it was a 66 league played in 67. It always yeah. confuses you, doesn't it? Very the much The season's so. played in the winter. Super Bowl champs. The, yeah. 1966 Super Bowl champions. They won it in February 67. February 67. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's funny, but, but, um, but what did you find the difference then? Because you played a bit of rugby, and I suppose, because I, when I was in the States doing a Masters in journalism, I looked into the history of it, and they had similar origins, rugby and American football, yeah. and then the forward pass came in in the early 20th think, century, and then is that the defining aspect? But also, always thought with American football that you had roles almost where you weren't allowed to touch the ball. It was like your role was yeah, me, just to protect my, the ball. My position, 18 years, and all those games, and 
I think I touched the ball in live play four times. Yeah. You know, but I didn't want the ball. I'm not. I'm not. A, I'm a big skill. <laughs> but person. in rugby, that's kind of the same. But most players do touch it at some point. Well, it's kind of you, you go back to '84 when I was when I went up to Swindon. I, I was kind of thinking, well, this ragtag bunch of guys in in, but you know, it bit me a little bit. Yeah. But when I went to Swindon, it was like getting hit by a wave. I was just swashed along with it and. Now I was getting a bit of coaching. I was starting to watch. I watched a guy called John Hanna, who was a superstar guard, mm. a great, great player, best in my opinion, the best has ever played the game. Yeah, uh, and I would watch him on TV. I'd record and watch and watch and watch his first step, second step, watch what he was doing, and it always seemed to be bringing in a power with his hands on his second. So you're recording step. videos and yeah, and, and, yeah. and watch because I wanted to be, I wanted to be good at it. Yeah, and some of these dudes over, in, uh, some of these uh, American guys uh, up on the base. We're looking at me, and I mean, one guy said to me, "Where did you play at college in the states?" Really? Now that's I'm just nice. some guy that's shown up from Cheltenham. Yeah, yeah. Who can move a little bit, but but you had the grounding and maybe the badminton, the tennis, yeah, the maybe lateral, I had the athletic ability. I think. Yeah, but I got washed along with the wave of it. I just really started to enjoy it, and I had great support from my wife. So, what's um, your mission then? They're saying because basically you come into that game, and it's like your objective is to stop a particular player from yeah. the defensive side, and then. Or is it is it just to block anyone that comes near the court? I was I was position I was put I was kind of asked what position I want to play. Big 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 dudes play in the trench. What we what we call the the, the trenches, the linemen. Yeah. Um, and there, there's so much emphasis put on skill positions, receivers, running backs. Yeah. Well, no, they're little skill positions. They're little <laughs> man skill positions. Yeah. We were big man skill positions. Yeah. Far more strategic than what we did. And everybody in the team knows what we were doing. Was the sort of engine room stuff. Now, you're creating the opportunity for yeah, the, so there's, the quarterback there's two, to there's, play. There's two sides of the line there's defense and offense. Generally speaking, if you've been a big man all your life, mm. every, you'll, you'll tend to play offense. If, yeah. you're a li- if you've been a little guy that gets big, yeah. you'll tend to play defense. I'll tell you why. Ah. Most big kids, all of their life, are told, don't be a bully. Don't push the kid around. Yeah, yeah. Don't do this. You'll be the first one that's. Yeah. So you spend all your life being sort of passive and softer. Yeah. So to play offensive line, the word offensive is means means you're attacking. So it's not yeah. you've got to be an offensive person. Yeah. But you're an attacking person. But now you've got a big man who's now being told within the rules of the game, you can do what you like to that guy in front of you. <laughs> Your job is to move him out of the way. Yeah. So Running backs can run with the ball, and your job is to stop that guy when the when the quarterback wants to pass the ball, and you can do it as as aggressively as you want to within the rules. Yeah. So, but you you're see, naturally less aggressive than the, well, the late developers. So that's why I became an offensive lineman because generally yeah. speaking, big guys are always been told to ease off, yeah. back off, and yeah. now, now I'm being told to go attack. <laughs> so it's not in our nature. Little men or smaller guys that become big. Yeah. Generally, got chips on their shoulders, and they're after, they're after you. So generally, the, the little guys that become <laughs> more big, fire in their belly, yeah, yeah. So that's how we, that's kind of an evolution of. But also, you, so if you're if you're that kind of big friendly giant, so to speak, yeah. it's easier for you to be physical because you're protecting. You can your switch it on and off as well. Where, whereas if you're a defensive player, yeah. you're literally trying to attack that quarterback with all the fury in the yeah. world, aren't you? So the ability to switch that on and off is important. So so I, I moving on, I developed as an offensive guard initially. Um, because I could move initially the game in this country was a running game primarily yeah. a running game so 84, 85, 86 every, 87 really everybody's running the football and you're playing in a league at that point isn't oh god yeah. yeah now that's another story with the British game because that's just one big mashup of, of mismanagement and all kinds so of so playing on stuff. a Sunday would it be Sunday? yeah Sundays always played on Sundays but I mean the pos- I evolved into that position found that I was okay pretty good at it um, 
I liked it. I like the fact that I can, you know, I get I get arrested for what I can do on a Sunday <laughs> if I did that in the street on a yeah. Saturday, you know. So but I think I sometimes kind of like I know, obviously, man, you know. Yeah, well, women's sport now is big, but I think there is something in the testosterone with with men in particular. You need to get an outlet sometimes, yeah. don't you? As a young a young but man, you, you've got to be able to do that within the rules. So I was able to switch it on and off. Discipline. I two, yeah, I have two sons that played the game to a great great standard. Um, Stephen was a was a fan, fabulous offensive lineman, arguably one of the best that's ever played the game in this country yeah. and, and developed beautifully as a player. Technically very gifted. Same player. size as you, is he? Uh, uh, he? He was. He's not now. He's trimmed down and, <laughs> and he's all sexy now. But I mean, uh, he's been a long time retired, but he's 37 years old. But there isn't anybody that wouldn't know Stephen Hopkins within the game. A long time retired at 37 minutes. So he's been retired for quite a while it's now. It's a short game, isn't it? Yeah. Short well, he just, I just kind of did his thing, but he represented Great Britain on many levels, wow. was, was part of a Team Europe um, um, offensive, if you like, that was trying to trying to get youth kids into the professional game. Yeah. Uh, I didn't kind of work for Steve for, for, for lots of, well, for, you know, one or two reasons, but I mean, it, he still played some fabulous sport and representing your country at European Championships as an offensive lineman because he's that type. Yeah. He, he followed his, his, his dad like that. Now his brother, you know, the younger <laughs> lad, Sean, two years younger, He's always got a, you know, he's, he's Stephen's bigger, I'm bigger, and he's yeah. he's always fighting for stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. He became what we call a three tech defensive lineman. Um, so, so a little, a little. A, he's a, trying a, to get through the offensive line. Yeah, he's another. He's a big guy, but he's a sl- slightly undersized, but tenacious. Yeah, you know, just like uh, like a Highland moccasin in terms of. You know, he's a, he just was relentless. I suppose sometimes the defensive pursuit. players can slip under the offensive line or around it he or was, whatever is more. Sean, was, Sean had a great ability to fight with his hands. Yeah. And, and what I mean by that is within the game, offensive linemen want to get their hands on you yeah. to protect, to move you. Sean yeah. could fight with his hands. Great feet, great change of direction skills. <laughs> Went on to become Britain's most captain international. Wow. And I'm extremely proud of the two of them in terms of what they did. Yeah. Because one of the things, it's hard to follow me. Because everybody was talking, oh, you're Mark Hopkins' son. Yeah. Oh, you're Mark Hopkins' boys. Yeah. But eventually that became, oh, you're Sean and Steve's yeah, dad. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. kind of liked that. Yeah. You know, I really did. So, um, good for them. They were they were great. But th- there's a difference in the in the position. And you sort of you, did you help them in the position because you'd gone through that process? You said changing coach, position a little bit. And I became a coach later on in my career, but yeah. I, I helped. But you knew from your experience. Yeah, of I, finding I, mean, a I knew position. that Steve. Stephen was extremely good technically. I mean, I. Yeah. I when I was playing, we didn't have this... The game was different, t- kind of technically different for an offensive lineman. Um, Stephen came into a game that was... that was te- And he was technically gifted. Yeah. Um, and he was tough. And he was a good kid. And would work hard. And, and you know, as I saying, I mean, you would say to Stephen and Sean, as, as you would to me... Yeah. The coach told me to run up that hill. <laughs> I'd run up that hill until he told me not to. Yeah. I wouldn't start. I'd just do as I'm told. Yeah. And that's a huge thing in football, because it's a... Team sport, you, you have a role to play, and you have to play absolutely. That role. In in any team, you've got the superstars, you've got your top players, and some of them are prima donnas, some of them are not. <laughs> but you allow them to be that because they're great. Do you think there's a life lesson in there as well that people in life, maybe nowadays, everyone wants to be a star? I suppose with social media and stuff, do you feel that people potentially don't have that ability to just accept a role and, and work hard? Yeah. Or was it, was it good for you? Did it help you think, in everyday I life? To, I think it's your personality. Yeah. I'd rather be the guy. I'd rather be a. I'd rather be the guy that goes and makes a team great than be a great player in that team. So do you think the sport you know, re- revealed your character rather than built it, or did it help build your? your I don't character? know. I was just. I was just enjoying playing yeah. sport, and I was just enjoying the fact that we would. I'd drive up to Swindon and 
and then we'd go to these away games and we'd, we'd play in front in pretty good stadiums. This was a boom time. So how far were you travelling on Sunday then? Well, it was, it was kind of regional to a point. Thames Valley, we'd go to London, we'd go to Colchester, we'd go over to Cardiff. Um, Colchester's quite a long way around the yeah, M25. Yeah, it was kind of regional across the country. Played in the Central Conference up to Ipswich, maybe mm. Leicester. We'd play in Leicester, we'd do that kind of thing. And But it was great. You're playing in good stadiums. Yeah. Nice. Well, we say good stadiums. They're not good stadiums compared <laughs> to now. But, I mean, it was a time, it was a boom time for the sport because... Soccer in this country was was plagued with hooliganism and yeah poor poor quality stadiums before the Premier League kind of yeah, regal- oh yeah, regalvanized yeah, it. Yeah, this yeah. is it. This is eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, eighty seven. Yeah. So rugby was amateur. So a lot of big, fast, good athletes are not. They're not looking at rugby, especially in the south because up north they're playing rugby league, weren't they? Which was a little bit yeah professional I, I, sport. I mean, I I was recruited to go and play in Manchester late, later on, but uh, again, you you had big athletes, fast. Uh, athletic athletes. Yeah. Now, with the with the in the late sort of eighties, early nineties, you had when rugby became professional. Yeah. The big athletes around the country were starting to think, well, listen, I might be able to yeah. earn a living doing this. Yeah. So, and and you mix that in with some huge misman- mismanagement at the British level in terms of the leagues and the people running the game and trying yeah. to organise the game. People were drifting away, and the boom time went up until about eighty eight, eighty nine. 89 for example Great Britain were European champions and we were head and shoulders above anybody else yeah we did the, we did the same thing in 91 and then it just it just like off the edge of a cliff and mm. and, and the level uh, the level dropped and I think that coincided with the Premier League coming in the interest in and I'm not blaming any, anything for this it's just the mm. the real reason was the mismanagement from from a from a league point of view yeah. or an organization but also you have view. this you have this huge gargantuan organization the NFL which is different because american football mm. was arguably a 20th century and you say with a professional mm. game late second half 20th century sport yeah. in the states it came late and then spread around the world whereas football soccer had spread in the 19th century around the world like wildfire and they had all these local yeah. teams yeah. so they, all the yeah. local leagues even though the premier league is international and big most countries in the world have a powerful domestic league yeah, as yeah. well whereas yeah. for you it is difficult in britain wasn't it from because the NFL was taking a look at it and thinking, well, if anyone's going to develop there, yeah. we want to develop there. We don't yeah. want to, we don't want a rival, that's rival a, league. That's, so it was, that's a great... That's and it's a, a little bit like the NBA in basketball at the moment. Yeah. There's tensions with the Great British Basketball League as well, I think. Yeah, we, I alluded to that a little bit earlier with you. Um, we, we were talking about um, this boom time for, for football in, in, in Britain. And in Europe, in Germany was huge, and uh, yeah. uh, Italy was big, and big American, and, yeah, but a big camps yeah, in bases Germany, and stuff. Yeah. Uh, Finland, uh, Sweden, you know, b- 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 Holland, big, great stuff. I mean, I I played in a European Championship in nineteen eighty nine in Rimini. Yeah, what a Europe like what, what would be the Champions League? Big, big, big you know. people in those parts of the world as well to play in America. Yeah, yeah, fast dudes really. But, yeah. but you make friends with these guys. It's last you forever. You know, you do through that respect. Uh, of of just competing properly, you know, and and but that's another story. But the NFL, I think, uh, when when you come to the, the if we come into the sort of late eighties, the 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 boom uh, of of football and and mm. these ripples heading across the pond. Yeah. Um. You know, we get four or five million people watching uh, football on the TV. Yeah. The early evening Sunday game would it be? So you know, I understand yeah. that that I mean the 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 fabulous product that the that the National Football League is. It's it's also a huge machine, a very powerful machine that says, well, listen, if football's going to be played anywhere in the world, it wants to be under our banner. Yeah. So there were several leagues. I mean, USFL, for example, I think it was eighty six, 
I think in 1984, sorry, yeah. 1984. They've they got played. indoor arena football over there and stuff, haven't they, as well? Yeah, well, there was an arena game played here. All these things were happening in the 80s. Like, mm. people, 80, there was a USF, United States uh, Football League, a USFL, which was a, a league that some fabulous players, Herschel Walker, Jim Kelly, some mm. great players, went on to be Hall of Famers, came out of. Um, they played a game in 84 at Wembley, um, which was kind of reasonably well supported, but, you know, the first American football game um, was in 86, where the Bears played the, the Cowboys in an exhibition game. Yeah, um, there's a lot of Bears fans yeah, in this country. Yeah, but that, yeah, was a, yeah. That, was, that was great. We did it again the following year. And then that was all building up to a, a potential professional league. Yeah, a, you know, Brit- a British professional league. Well, a European one. Yeah. Um, and then somebody, there was a group of people, some big hitters from the States, We've been involved in the league for many, many years. Uh, we tried to set up, or at, had attempted to set up a league called the International League of American Football, 1989, with a prospectus that, that was uh, eight teams spread across Europe, building in two years to 10 teams, two years after that, and so on and so forth, up to 16 teams. Yeah. Um, they, they'd, rec- they'd held trials, they'd recruited. Um, the idea was... So you that, were going to leave Brick Lane to become full-time? Well, I did, I, listen, I went to the trials because I thought, wow, let, let's go and have a look. Yeah. I was, from that, I was recruited by, um, to, in both teams. I chose to go, there was a team in London, they were going to be called the London Lightning, and a team in Birmingham called the Birmingham Bears. The team in Birmingham yeah. were based, going to be based at Villa Park. I think the London team at Stamford Bridge... Wow, where their games big, were going to be big played. stadiums, yeah. Oh God, yeah. The Italian, the, the Milan franchise was the San Siro. The Madrid franchise was not the Bernabeu. Uh, just it? outside the Bernabeu, there's a there's a smaller stadium just yeah. outside. But uh, you know, a big. This was proper, properly organised, serious stuff. Yeah. And I'm, you know, my eyes are kind of big as saucepans, and I'm thinking, <laughs> I, I go to a hotel in Warsaw, I get offered a, offered a, a contract. Uh, a, Coach Jim Kreiner, who's a wonderful man, um, um, and a and a fa- fabulous coach, he offered me a contract. Um, and how did which, that money compare to your bricklaying? Well, income? it was it was better. Was it? So, yeah, it was better. It wasn't great. It was yeah. better. But uh, a, an example, uh, the contract I have was something like, I think it was about four or five months of the year. Yeah, and it was something like three hundred, three hundred and. Twelve pounds a week. Okay. The, the conversion from dollars. Yeah. Now that was that was a little more than I was making as bricklayer, but maybe a third more. Yeah. Maybe a quarter. A third and the brilliant more. thing was, I suppose, with bricklaying, you could still do it in the off season potentially. Uh, or... Professional sportsman. Yeah. I'm a bricklayer. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm. You know. I'm 27, yeah. 28. Years I still old, get that now. Is like because I played semi pro football yeah. up in Malvern before I went to journalism, and I go to these press conferences sometimes. You go to Cobham, which is Chelsea's luxurious mm. soccer. Uh, training complex and you just still feel the idea and it's like oh, everything in life because I work on TV people you don't appreciate necessarily what you're doing but to think you're getting paid to play sport is, is phenomenal professional sportsman it? you know yeah. I mean, I'm thinking wow this and no one I mean nobody in Cheltenham no one, none of my peers my friends none, nobody knew anything they knew I played American football but they didn't know I was yeah. good at it yeah. you know, now anybody within within the, the family of American football in this country knows who Mark Hopkins is and yeah. has done for many years yeah um as you said earlier, I'm lucky enough I was voted into the British Hall of Fame, and I'm extremely proud of that. Mm. I've represented Great Britain, and I'm extremely proud of that. <laughs> I've coached and represented Great Britain as a coach. It's a professional, professional game yeah. is knocking. I suppose it must have been a relief as well. to, to yeah, professional Because you, when you're playing on Sunday and you're travelling, you're saying even Colchester, which is the other side of London from where we are, Essex, so it's a good trip, and then you're coming back on Sunday, presumably you're having to get up Monday morning stiff to, to go and lay Yeah, break. but it was great. 
yeah. it was great. You, it's, it's, it's men being men, you know I mean? Yeah. I'm not saying you've got to go knock people over to be a man. What I mean is, it's just... But is what, it not hard to come it, back and work the next day? No, it's yeah, just a okay. physical job as well, it, isn't it? It was, yeah, but I mean, you just, it's what you did. Yeah. You know, you, you just loved it. But that thought of not having to do that, to just well, focus on the game, just to recuperate to around, the next day and... Just at the try, the try, the trial sessions, to be around the, 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 the speed in which people move, the, the way practice was scripted. Yeah. We hadn't seen that before and it's like, you know, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm I'm, I'm like a star, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I, yeah, the, so I thought, yeah, great. And I was happy. My wife supported me, and uh, I felt I trusted Kreiner, a coach. I, I just trusted him. He was from the, the he, you know, he said the right things and was the right kind of guy. Not all coaches are like that, sure, but he was, in my opinion, treated people well and fairly. Oh, he was, uh, yeah. he was a top guy, top man, top man. But again, it's a job. He he had to pick. I remember, the, the the idea with this league was that it'd be twelve nationals. Mm-hmm. 24 to 30 Americans. Yeah. And the idea was you'd always have three nationals on the field. Massive squads in America, football. That's what you forget yeah. in terms of making it yeah. professional. Well, it's kind of changed with each team. You need a lot of money, don't you? Because you can't. Well, you do, yeah. So, say, say do, a professional yeah. soccer team, you could get away with 15, 16 players, probably. Yeah. But, but American football, you specialise. You have an offensive unit, which, yeah. you know, my position, it doesn't. I mean, I'm, I, was, I, was a, I was an offensive lineman, but I, yes, I could play a little bit of defensive line, mm. but I can't play linebacker. Different mindset. But if you're yeah. a fullback, you could probably play a bit of. A bit of you could maybe go and play striker. Yeah. If you're a, a fullback in soccer, yeah. play a bit yeah. of striker, a bit of centre half. Yeah. Gary Neville springs to mind, who was centre half. Natural right. centre half, but wasn't big yeah. enough, so he played fullback. He could yeah. play lots of positions. He could, could, was a destroyer in midfield. Yeah. Could do that. Where in, in American football, that. Generally, linebackers become running backs and vice versa. It's very specific. Kind yeah, of. it is. It's hugely uh, position-specific and uh, body type-specific. So um, so it, you need, you know, you have an offensive <laughs> line unit, which is, you have, say you've got a typical 45-man squad, eight or nine of those will be offensive linemen. Yeah. Um, the way that dynamic works is that you've got your five starters. They're your stars. You wrap them up in cotton wool. Yeah. You've got two that are close. And then you need two or three that... Their main attribute needs to be they're durable because yeah. they have to be able to practice all week and then sit on the bench on Sundays. And that's <laughs> psychologically that. strong as well, yeah. Yeah. You know, you, you've always got some linebackers, you've probably got six, depending if you're playing a 3 4 or a 4 3 uh, formation, you would have, you know, six or eight linebackers. So that you've got different positions, so you need a lot of people. Mm. And the attrition is quite difficult too, especially with nowadays with the concussion rules and stuff. But um, going back to to the uh, the International League of American Football thing that was that was a fabulous thing it was the, what we loved about it was that we could have national players there's going to be Germans on the field yeah. and Brits and Italians and Dutch um, unfortunately you, you know this this was really getting momentum ripples across the pond again the NFL, NFL gets wind thinking, of it. whoa hang on now there's two ways of looking at this we could say I don't know the answer I would I, uh, the NFL I think Looked at this as an upstart league. Okay, they've got credibility because the people are going to run it and the way it's done and the, the, the TV and the organisation. But if football's going to be played anywhere in the world, it should have the NFL banner on it. Yeah. And that's fair enough. So they kind of hurriedly announced, in my opinion, hurriedly announced the formation. The, the ILAF was, was, all this work was done in 89 for a ni- an April 1990 start. Mm. Now, during that early part of 1990, the the World League announced they were going to set up, sorry, the NFL announced they were going to set up a World League. 
Teams in Europe, teams in, the, in North America. The, sp- the sponsors suddenly think... This was to start yeah. in 91, so the TV money... Oh, this is the NFL. Yeah. So we don't want to worry about the ILAF, so we go to the we go where the money is. So the TV dropped, sponsors dropped. It's funny in hindsight, you wonder if the IAAF you know, would have arguably done maybe better in that world league. You, you don't know. Well, I think the, I think the, 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 the prospectus, if you like, the manifesto, for want of a better word, for the ILAF was better mm. for... The game, the game at grassroots level. Yeah. When now I think that okay because I'm a grassroots guy. When the NFL came in with the World League, the whole thing was different. Two nationals in each team, but they weren't part of the team. They were part of what's called an Operation Discovery program. Okay. So if you've got ten teams, you've got something like 30, 20, 22, 24 players from all over, maybe thirty from all over Europe, are sent out to uh, Atlanta to a little place called Sawney, just outside Atlanta in Georgia. And you went, did you went go out? As yeah, part of that? I yeah. was part of that. I went along, and and you're looking around, and there's guys. You know, Victor Abubadike was or Victor Mohammed now um, was a a, a a fantastic athletic man. Yeah. Um, who just needed to be taught to play the game because he could do it. He was just a great athlete. Nigel Hoyt, a British kid, a, absolute athlete. Yeah. Um, there were others um, that went. There was but, some, the, but the NFL wanted it as a feeder league for their teams. Yeah. So, yeah. so the idea was that the, the NFL set up the World League so they could allocate players from the NFL teams mm. to go and play because the, the the second and third string players in the NFL don't play. No. It's the starters, and uh, you've got say twenty two, eleven starters on each side, and you've got two or three that are close. And the other 26, 27 don't start. They Especially don't key positions like quarterback, I guess. Yeah. Like that, yeah, and you don't get to see, the coaches don't get to see what they can do because they don't play. It's always about the best all the time. Yeah. Or, so, you, or you might have a best on the bench, but you don't know it, I guess. You don't know it. it. Yeah. A great example, we talked about it earlier, some, some guys that were picked, uh, Kurt Warner is a great example of a guy that went on to be his Hall of Fame quarterback, Yeah. Super Bowl quarterback, winning quarterback, that started his pro career in the NFL got allocated over to I think it was Berlin yeah. the, the Berlin team and is you know the rest is history and there's mm. a few of those mm. um, so it's it's you can understand why the NFL did it but it wasn't good for grassroots now remember I'm a grassroots guy yeah. I want to see grassroots football and you also want to see the grow. best in your area rather than feel like you're watching yeah. a reserve league yeah and I'm sure that if the ILA, if, if the if the World League had adopted a slightly different system maybe took six or eight nationals and said we've got to have one on the field all the time yeah then i think we would see non-american based europeans playing yeah because there's lots of you know i mean we can we watch tv and we we we, we see oh we've got this london guy and I means a great kid there playing at carolina now who has not played a down of football in the domestic leagues no he was a superstar athlete that went in and credit to him he's you know he's a great kid great guy and, and he's earning a, earning a living doing what he's doing. There's an academy down in Bristol, um, which is a fabulous football, American football academy. It's, it's part of a, a, the, 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 um, Bristol the Bristol Wise com- complex. So, so oh, Filton yeah. Wise, there's, a, there's an academy there of rugby, hockey, athletics, all kinds of stuff. And mm. they have American football as part of that. Um, there's one of, a guy graduated from that, went to play Division Three football in the States. Yeah. Which is nobody no very few people go from Division Three into the NFL. Yeah. But because he's a he's a development player from, from Europe, he's got some skills. 
Um, and it's very difficult because he's an exceptionally good player. Yeah. But he's not NFL. No. We're talking about 3% of yeah. people that play yeah. the game. Yeah. That get to play in the NFL. So they're kind of tokens. Um, my own experience was, was, was a bit like that. Coach Kreiner wanted to coach me. So I didn't, I did, going back to the ILAF uh, World League thing, the brief for the World League was that if you were 26 and under, mm. you would, we'd want you. Yeah. If you're good enough. Well, I was 29 years old, 30 years <laughs> old now. And so I, but Kreiner, Coach Kreiner said that, you know, he wanted to work with me, so gave me an opportunity. Now, I, I, you know, it wasn't something I really wanted to do. I was devastated by what had happened the year before because I was really looking forward to playing in this league. Mm. And it, it, when, you're, when you're sat in a dorm over in the States and you get told... Yeah, right, Your kids are at home it, as well it, in England. Yeah, yeah, you know, and, and, and it, it's a big commitment and you're looking forward to what's going on and you're working hard on the playbook and, and, and you, you're meeting these guys around you and then all of a sudden you get told that's not going to happen. Yeah. And you get told why. Yeah. Um, I mean, initially suspended, but we all knew it wasn't going to happen because, you know, the big dudes are in town. Yeah. So that's that. Um, I was devastated by that, so the momentum had dropped a bit. I kind of dropped out of the the, lead, the, the, the game for a little while. I was a little bit disillusioned with mm. it, but then that soon came back, you know. But I, um, I, I just felt that that wasn't for me, and the product was fine. Unfortunately, it went for two years, and, and this is this is the thing that I feel bitter about because they hurriedly brought this thing in. Two years later, they suspend operations. The World League yeah. took two years, yeah. So and they had a European later. NFL after that, didn't they, as well? NFL well, that Europe. came three years after that. So they yeah. suspend operations. Three years later, they bring in a revamped NFL Europe, which is, which is... And that lasted... That went 10, 12 years. Yeah. Um, but again, it was a feeder league. It was a, a league to... Like a reserve league mm. for the NFL. And I just feel that if... if I would have loved... I mean, woulda, shoulda, coulda. We can wonder all day long, but... I think the ILAF for the two years, and then if they could have got another two years with, with, and expanded the teams like they wanted to, I just wonder how many guys would be enjoying, a, especially in, in, the, in the, how it's evolved in sport and, and the, the, you know, the facilities that are around the world and around Britain, especially Europe. Yeah. I just wonder about that, but that's a, when the sport you know, that's, more developed. That's done. I'll tell you what, because this, this, this um, stops in an hour, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to save this, and then we'll start, we'll have a, a wrap up conversation after that. Sure, so yeah. record a little bit sure. more of that, but that's so great. We'll ask you about that and the future for American football in, in just a second. Good stuff. Well, let's just um, resume, round off our chat with, with Mark Hopkins, American football legend. Especially legend around this part of the in world Britain, in Gloucestershire. In Britain, yeah, well you are. Well, well you are. Which I think Britain, makes it more no. unique. But you were talking about and people might think that you're just a big guy, so you played American football. But you were talking about some of the numbers you were putting together in the in the gym and uh, yeah, and on yeah. the track. Tell us about those. There's a well. There's a there's a process. They, they combines now are, are huge and popular and seen on TV in the states. But I combines are something that tests athletic ability. Yeah. And one of the things. So so in American football, especially if you want to do well, you've got to pass the what's called the eye test. You know. Yeah. And um, so for me, that, that I thought, well, I've got to do some work. So, and a great example is uh, with, with linemen, everybody does all these different tests, three cone drills, they'll run a 40 yards, they'll, they'll do a broad jump. Um, um, and so that's standing vertical jump. Yeah, yeah, vertical jump. So these all test athletic ability. So one of the tests is a bench press, so 100 kilograms as many times as you can do. Wow. So if you get up, most offensive linemen need to be 25 plus, so I was repping, <laughs> I was repping at thirty three, thirty four. 
Yeah, and that'd um, be max reps for a lot of people. That'd, that'd be, be for a lot, but I mean, again, a big man. My max rep was in in old money five hundred and fifty pounds. Yeah. In new money, around two twelve kilos, two twenty wow. kilos. So how many um, how many reps do you? But do that would be for me, you know, max out yeah. one rep. How many are you doing um, for hundred k then? Was that 30, 34, 35, 38 was my best ever, but <laughs> I bounced it a few times off my chest on that, so that a couple of those wouldn't have counted. But I don't think I've ever benched hundred. I think maybe ninety. But yeah. But again, I needed yeah. that the power I needed in in that position to be yeah. able to move people around. I was able to run a four nine forty, which is 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 two two NFL forty levels. yards, not forty forty meters. yards. But it's only a little bit less yards, than a meter. But, yeah. So in NFL speeds, people talk about four three. Four two four three NFL was running back wide receiver speed for the fastest. Uh, for their superstar, their sprinting yeah. speed. But to be to so where did be, that put you? Where would that would that put you in the NFL now? In terms of that? oh, those are NFL numbers. Yeah, they are absolutely NFL numbers. So passing the eye test. Yeah. So those numbers in terms of bench press, NFL standard. Forty yard dash for a two hundred ninety pound man. That's what that's the weight when I played. Yeah, two hundred ninety pounds. I just whipped it in my head. Twenty it's, stone, it's, 10 twenty stone, pounds. ten. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so. 21 stone guy, you know, to be able to move that quickly, passes the eye test, NFL standard, broad jumps, NFL standard, three cone drill, NFL standard. What I didn't have, one thing I went, when I went from the amateur leagues to the top level is I remember lining up in a three point stance and a guy saying to me, look, it's the speed at this level. When you yeah. get to the next level, it's the speed. But is it the mental speed rather than the physical speed? So it's, yeah. it's, it's two things. So I remember lining up in a three point stance, first time I was in a camp playing against professionals. And set hut, uh, I move, and the guy I'm blocking is half a yard behind me. Really? And that I had never seen. So now I've got it now. What I've got to do now is I've got to go on the the B of bang, the S of set, not the T. Yeah, yeah. I've got yeah, to go yeah. and I've got to be into him and I've got to run my feet and I've got to work all these things. So it's so the, the concentration the levels. The, the relationship with your ear and your brain. And, that, and then you'd have to translate that into the aggression to be, a, to be aggressive and yeah. physical like that. Yeah. And the speed, that's the speed. So that took me a little while. It took me two, two, two weeks or so. And you don't get two weeks. If you go to a camp as a walk-on and you want to play in the NFL, you don't get an hour. Yeah. If you don't, can't do it, on the second or third time, you're gone. You forget just so, how these massive men who are so athletic. You, you, yeah. you can't almost compute Incredible. it in your head, can you? I mean, Incredible. rugby players are the same now, I guess. They're huge. No, I was, I was, I've just given you some numbers about straight line speed. I had good change of direction skills. I yeah. had good short area skills. Um, but we're talking good. The top 3%, yeah. great, great players get to do that in the NFL. Yeah. So I was not NFL do you, standard. Do you ever regret the, the timing of life? That Obviously, you brought up in Singapore, had this wonderful life and came back to the UK. Do you ever wish, oh, I wish my dad had got a job in you know, Chicago you know, or something like that? Would have, should have, could is a funny thing. But I feel, and I've been told this by, uh, by um, respectable coaches, coaches that I respect hugely, if I was born, born and raised in the, in the States and with a bit of luck, yeah, injury free. Yeah, the yeah. right school, the right college. Then I might have got. I'd have probably got drafted. Yeah. Now then, if you get drafted, you you don't. You just don't know. I mean, you. But it's average is three years in the league itself. Isn't yeah, it? it's not. And, it's not. A long and you know, you, there are there are players. Bruce Matthews played, I think, eighteen years in the league. Yeah. As an offensive lineman, I mean, an absolute at all positions. But you've had a, you've had a great Kids. life. You've been able to live in this oh. part of the world. You've been able to travel. I mean, you said you're playing. In a San Siro as well, and things like well, that. Well, I, I went on later on in my life when I was in 93, 94, 95, I played in a football league of Europe, which is a semi professional league. Yeah. 
Um, I played for the, the. Was that a bit, bit more than expenses to get paid? Was it I was right? paid to do that. Yeah. We played for the. We played. I played for the GB Spartans. It wasn't a British national team. It was a GB Spartans. Played at. Played yeah. in Sheffield. Played at a Don Valley Stadium. Marvelous stadium. Uh, fairly new. It's gone now, but it was built for the World <laughs> Student Games yeah. in 1990. We get eight, twelve, fifteen thousand people watches. We go to Germany. We're playing in, in the, um, the Volkspark SV Hamburg Stadium. Yeah, thirty-five thousand. Uh, Berlin in the in the Olympic Stadium, <laughs> just to be walking around. How did that, how did that feel? That's fabulous. That's almost you're getting the emotional side of being a professional. So for me, that was that was uh, yeah. I'm I'm like I'm I'm stood on a football field. I'm looking around. I'm 34, 35 years old. I'm thinking, how did this happen? Because you were saying um, you've got back from watching Gloucester Rugby, one of the best rugby teams in the country, or, or most followed rugby teams, playing in Ireland in the Champions Cup, which is the best competition in Europe. And how many people? Were there? Six thousand people. Six thousand. So you're playing like, in lots bigger. Um, unbelievable to see the highest level of rugby in Europe. Yeah. Really, you know, Gloucester against Connor in 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 Champions League rugby, and there's six thousand people there. Yeah. In in what amounts to, and I don't want to upset anybody at the sports ground at Connor, but. It's it's a little it's a little more modern than Jurassic Park would be. You know what I mean? It's a <laughs> yeah. very old school stadium, yeah, like a provincial kind of very much so. But stadium, we were yeah. very welcomed, and it's great facilities, and it was a great game. But it's just unbelievable for me to see that level of that sport, and yet, you know, way back, I don't know what twenty years ago, yeah. 30, you know, because outside of the United ago. States, soccer is the only thing that can really command. Mm. Things like you're talking about, 35,000. Maybe we, we mentioned boxing, maybe Anthony Joshua can sell out a stadium, mm. but there's not many sports. But week in, week out. Sports week in, week yeah. out. I find when I was at, uh, when I played in this FLE league, um, it was, I was a semi professional, but you felt like a pro. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was, again, I was paid to play a uh, nominal amount of money, but it didn't cost me anything. And the, the 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 thrill was fabulous. It was like again, it was like being a what, professional sports. Was there a British team that you were playing in at the time? Was there a uh, no, no, no? That that was the team I played for. Yeah. You, but there was a, was there a British team? It sort of reflect a, a national team or there was a GB Lions national yeah. team. But that that at that time uh, it was in huge disarray. Uh, mm. I, I alluded to earlier, 1989, 19th first ever game of American football, eighty five, a GB Lions I played in. Yeah, a bit of a. Yeah, a little bit disorganised, but moving on from that, eighty nine European Championships won it, won it hands down, flat out, very just beat everybody out of sight. Where was the final? Um, this was in Germany. Yeah. Um, then again in ninety one, uh, that I I couldn't play in that because I signed a professional contract. So, uh, and none of the none of the guys that 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 our local governing body, our, our British governing body, wouldn't allow anybody that had not that that was that. Had, play professionally, if you like, or sign professional contracts to play for the national team at that time. Yeah. But, you know, fair enough. Same with Italy, same with Germany. They went off and they won a national title again, a European title again. Um, and then it all fell apart through infighting and arguing and just bad organisation. And people, I mean, at one time, I think, the boom time of the late 80s in Britain, uh, nobody could settle on a league. There were several yeah. different types of leagues. And that carried on through the nineties and destroyed, destroyed it. Really, it started to come. It's a back. bit like soccer in the US. It took them a while for the current MLS yeah. to get you know, things figured we don't, out. So, so there's this organisation. They can't agree with this organisation. They can't agree. With, and I mean, there was a there was a meeting. There's been several of these, but at one meeting where the two leagues come together and all the teams send representatives to become one, 
Yeah. And out of that, we had another league, a third league. <laughs> so it's just a disarray. And a, yeah. and, and a, but that's another story. Breakaways. Yeah, you had that. I suppose you had that with the rugby football union broke away from football at the very start. It was associated in soccer, yeah. soccer and rugby went their separate And, and also, the, going back to the GB Lions um, international American football team, I wasn't interested in... I'm, thir- I'm, I'm 32 years old to 92, 93, or 93, 94. It's not really a national sport in your no, mind, is it? You don't no, think of like, because it's dominated by teams in America, you don't think of like the USA playing Japan at American football. Doesn't, or doesn't happen. Like, yeah. no, they, they, it's, it's unique to Europe in that. And they, 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 we, now have, we now have world club champ, world country, sorry, world national championships. So Japan, like Australia, cup of American football, Australia yeah. came to this country, I think in 84 and toured um, the Kookaburras, I believe. That's Amazing the, country, they, isn't it? Only 18 million now, but they, they but, seem yeah, adept they, at so many sports. They've been over a couple of times, but uh, teams do that. But it, it's, it, I, I, I wouldn't play for the national team because of what happened in 91. I was too old anyway. You know, kids should be playing in the national team. I did play in 2000. How did you combine it with being a father and stuff? Did, did they come and watch you play? Oh, yeah, 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 they loved it. Yeah, the kids loved it. The boys loved it. My wife loved it. She, they, were, they were proud of their dad. Yeah. You know, my wife was proud of her husband. <laughs> and, and, um, Do you think it helped, you know, it helped your relationship with your wife, having a hobby, having a passion? And, and you said before as well, getting that... Because you you switching aggression on and off, but getting that side of you out of there, getting that energy out of you too. I think so. Maybe I, I she just supported me. Yeah, it was what I wanted to do, and and she, I didn't I didn't. Being gone crazy being at home all the time. I don't it? know about that. I think perhaps, but I think she just she supported me. She yeah. she she supported. She she felt it was important. He's good at this. Yeah, I'm not going to take that away from him. No. So you know, it's a two way street. I've got to do the right thing and support in other ways. Yeah. And, and and be around, and I was, but. And, and and be there to do the it, do the things that did, matter. But. Did you struggle physically with the brick lane because you're you've been having to bench press all that stuff? You have to do the leg press. I didn't. I didn't when I was in my sort of tw- late sort of through my twenties and early thirties. Yeah. But it, you know, there's a legacy to that. And, yeah. and And I've had two surgeries on my lower back. I've had a, two surgeries on both one shoulders. Each shoulders have had surgery. Um, I've but you had, must have been finishing finishing. You know, built, doing your brick work in the day and then going to the gym afterwards. Yeah. Right? So yeah. And it, there's a you you paid a price for that. I, I listen. I'm not. I'm in pretty good shape. You know. I'm yeah. I'm, I'm I'm a big guy. But I'm in, and I'm I'm fine. I'm in good shape. Do you still but, do you still uh, go to the gym now? Do you work out? Yeah, I do. I'm, and... I'm in there three times a week, and I do that because I have to. Otherwise, I'll just turn into Mr. <laughs> Blobby. You know. It, it, it's like I said earlier. I, I didn't. Uh, you know. I, I, I but you can st- what can you st- what can you bench press? Well, I don't still? lift heavy weights anymore. I'm still strong, but I tend to do uh, endurance lower weights, more higher reps. Just yeah. keeps everything tighter. Yeah. So underneath the the excess flesh, there's a little bit of strength there, a little bit of size. Some guys in the pub call me call me the mountain and stuff like that <laughs> because my weight changes at different times. At this time of the year, I'm heavy. Yeah. And I usually lose sort of twenty five, thirty pounds going in January, February time. I travel a lot this time of year, so uh, we've just had a couple of weeks in the states. We've had. Uh, we've just done a little cruise with my wife. Oh, beautiful. Um, and we've just come back from Ireland. So it all, so all worked uh, out. You've actually, you pretty well, you said you retired at 56. I'm in great shape. I, I, I retired at 56 because I was able to. I made a decision. My wife and I, as a self-employed man, you don't, um, you, you, the pensions are not a lot of yeah. use. So not flexible enough. I had pension Not guaranteed. My dad, had, my dad had a couple yeah, of collapse. And... Just not very good. So I, my wife and I bought a small property years ago yeah. um, and had it rented. In those days, you know, you could go into a mortgage company, back in the early, sort of mid-94, go to a mortgage company. I remember talking to a guy and said, well, he said, how much do you earn then, Mark? And I said, uh, I earn this much. And he said... <laughs> Three million a year. He got, his, <laughs> he got his pen out and he said, no, I think you earn a bit more than that. 
Yeah, which right. is irresponsible, I get, but it's just how it was then. So we were able to get a buy, not a buy to let, but we just extended our mortgage, bought a property, had people renting it. Every single penny that that made over the mortgage that we needed to pay it, we put into an ISA. Wow. And those investments paid off for us. My wife has a small business. Um, my wife's a hairdresser. Um, she worked for an American company. So that you built years. up, even though you're earning modest living as a bricklayer, isn't it? Yeah, I was. I mean, yeah, it, and that's it. You know, you you've got to find a balance to understand what what your what your where you are. I earned a good living as a bricklayer for a bricklayer. But you didn't want it. You can't do it to your seventy, can you? No. Oh. So you have to put things in place. Yeah. Bricks and mortar are always going to make money. Yeah. I'm lucky because from '94 we sold it in 2016, did well. Um, and you we, invested that in that you and then live off. Okay. Yeah, that, that's just sat. Oh, it's pointless. In, I mean, with the greatest respect to the to, <laughs> to the to the bonds and stuff. I mean, 085 percent over whatever. Yeah. But that's fine because I benefited. I remember years ago getting a mortgage and um, the, the 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 shout on building sites was, "How am I going to pay the rent at this 33 percent?" Yeah, know? yeah, the mortgage because we were paying. Well, we were paying uh, tax. But then that period from the early nineties to the sort of noughties was a rapid rise in house prices. Massively. Wasn't it? So I benefited yeah. in that. You know. I benefited from that hugely in yeah. terms of house prices with that property that yeah. we own and the property that we had to sell. Yeah, because your boys must have found it more difficult because it's been more difficult for our oh, generation. They struggled so. to get mortgages, you yeah. know. And um, but so you have to take that. There's there's very little for 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 saved money now. Yeah. But our race is run, you know. I mean, I'm not going to make any money now. <laughs> it's we we've got enough. We're doing okay. Got your big truck in the in the garden. Well, you know, my my wife my wife likes. We have a pretty good lifestyle. We we're. We travel the world. There's not a sea I haven't sailed on. There's not a continent I haven't walked on. Yeah. Um, wow. We are away eight, nine times a year. We're lucky. We have the money to do it. We're not wealthy, but we're comfortably off. We're healthy. Yeah. My wife's a breast cancer survivor um, um, oh, 20 well, years good, ago. Good no, but, yeah. you know, she, she came through that, and I'm hugely proud of that. She's, do as you're told, you know, the local people here. Yeah. I know the NHS gets a... Do you, f- do you feel your deal. sporting background and obviously being a bricklayer as well, has that helped your health, do you think? you think you're having that cardiovascular Maybe fitness? And part that? of it's luck. Yeah. Um, but part of it is keeping yourself healthy. And, um, you must have eaten quite good food as yeah, well. Yeah, so fuel yourself. balanced diet, yeah. yeah. Uh, but a lot of it, that's yeah. the trouble. <laughs> what was it, meat and rice when you are playing, was it? Um, was it? I mean, I was... Uh, yeah, I mean, in those days you wasn't so much the the science wasn't so involved, but we knew that protein was good for keeping yeah. you strong, and we knew that carbohydrates were good for giving you energy. So, yeah. great, you know. I mean, they call pastry the devil now, but I mean, well, the <laughs> we devil wears calories, well, yeah. the devil wears Prada because pastry is fabulous. You probably need about four thousand calories just to keep maintain. Well, your yeah, I don't do that. I don't know anywhere near that now, but I. Uh, yeah, I'm listen. I'm healthy. I'm I'm happy. My wife's happy. We're 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 very happy together. Yeah. We, we we're doing the things. Long may it last. But I think I've earned the right. You know, I've I've we've both um, put one foot in front of the other, and we've done that continually since we were married. And yeah, um, I don't make any apology for my lifestyle. I've earned the right to do it. No, no, no. And, I never uh, apologize. And for well, it. some people think, well, you're lucky. You're this. You're that. And I get people and my, my friends, and they're only in jest. But friends will say. You're going away again. Well, do you um, think? But do you think that sort of what you've done there, and having that house, you bought the house, and that and that building, and, and having the shares, and you, it goes up and up and up. Is it? Is that? It's almost like training, isn't it? Do you learn that that marginal gains, that incremental compounding idea? It comes from being involved in sport, maybe a little Ed, bit. That it's a long game, isn't it? My whole life, Ed, is a I'm a belt and braces character. Yeah, I won't take a risk. Yeah. Now you you could argue some of the conversations about some of the sport I played, but I won't take a risk in anything. I tend to double check. 
Dot the I's, cross the T's. That's how I am. Yeah. My wife's a little different. Yeah. So we balance. We talked about balance yeah. earlier in relationships. You need it, don't you? Yeah. Um, we've we've managed to find a balance by being sensible. Yeah. My wife wants a new kitchen. At the moment we're talking about that, I'm like, no, I don't, I don't, I don't need a new kitchen. Sure. She's driving her crazy. So sure. it's in the balance of it all. So you find a balance, you know. Yeah. And, you, and you have to. My wife understands that that I don't hold the purse strings, but I'm the sensible one. Yeah. And so she tends to. But you probably but wouldn't do anything without her. You right. Yeah. See, I need yeah. someone to say, well, come on, yeah. look, yeah. we've got That's this. True. For example, when I retired, the quick story, I used to, November time, I used to put different investments out on the floor. This is two, two and a half, three years ago. My wife, I said, there we are, just have a look at this, love. And she said, what's that for? I said, when we're old. Hmm. So I'm pointing at the table and she, I said, she said, what's this for? I said, when we're old. <laughs> and I said, she said, what about this? I said, for when we're old. She said to me, simple as this. She said, have you looked in the mirror lately? <laughs> And you look great. And it's kind of great, but it's kind of, yeah, I'm old. And I'm, I was coming up 56 years old. It's only 56. And I understood old. her point. Um, why do I have to, why can I not retire? If we yeah. can afford to, yeah. then why would I not? Yeah, yeah. Why would we not? And you only live once and you get to enjoy it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, you talk about wear and tear. I was, she knew that I was, it was starting to, I was starting to get tired. I was starting to have more of a breakdown in issues. Being out in the cold. Had a brick problem. Brick laying and stuff. And Yeah, I had a hip problem on on this my right side and and that's gone now yeah the, well the problem's still there it's just not under stress anymore yeah um so i can manage that so that might be so overuse injuries really that you yeah, yeah. That, that's really through from a specialist I, i've been to see that's through my job yeah because i'm right-handed everything pivots on the left side on yeah. the right side so it's it, anyway it's i was probably heading towards a new hip at, at 59 58 59 60 years old around yeah. now but I'm not now. So, yeah, that's so a pretty brutal operation. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is mentally, whilst I was lost a little bit when I retired, I finished the projects I had. Um, mm. I worked for a local company, a, a, a Forrester Dean company, and they were great. But I finished the projects and I was doing for them. Mm. And then, done. And the I fact stroke, the family still hit you up for brickwork and stuff? A what? little bit, but um, I, I don't do much anymore. I've no. got my, my youngest, Sean, my youngest boy, uh, he came on and w- was an apprentice with us so oh, nice. 18 years ago. So he's the builder in the family now, not, not, <laughs> not that. You know? It's one of those jobs where you get a lot of people. My dad's a doctor, so we all ring him up every time we're sick and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Strange. So like, well, yeah, strange. Yeah, it's a bit like that. I get asked a lot. In, I, have, I have a good friend of mine who's a local, uh, he, he, he runs a small... There's a company that owns lots of properties that they leave, they, they rent and, and hotel rooms and stuff. And he does a lot of maintenance on those or has to get it done. Yeah. So he's on the phone constantly. I've got a bit of a problem with this. And I'm really happy to go and just... I don't make any Assessing. money doing it. I don't want any money doing it. I'm- uh, rudely interrupted just there by my mum calling back about a Christmas present, I think. I think she yeah. panics. I rang her earlier and said... Uh, and I'd taken the the um, the airplane mode off my yeah. phone. So apologies for the, uh, the interruption there, Mark, and, and everyone at home. Um, but I thought, yeah, one thing I was just wondering as well, should mention boxing because I'm a big boxing fan. I've covered it for, for Sky and other people. And you did some, you used to do some sparring as part of your training as well. What did that teach you? Like, feet. It taught me not to be a boxer. Really? Just the thought of getting <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't quick enough. But I mean, it, it taught me, I loved, the, I loved the physical side of the training. And yeah. it, taught, it taught me, which helped me in my sport, was the quick feet movement and yeah. the ability to be light on your feet. Um, for example, that you take a you take a wooden staircase. I'm I'm a 23 stone man now, and I can run up a set of stairs, and you wouldn't hear me. Really? Now I got a I got a grandson Harry who's three, 
and, and you know, he's a brute of a boy and he's fabulous, <laughs> but you, boom, boom, boom. So you got the balls of your feet, is that how you do it? Just kind of, just, just being able to move, move yeah. lightly and, and quickly. And I know that sounds odd, but it's, you're, you, can, you can learn it. But you were sparring a local, what, middleweight, super middleweight? There was a, there was a guy called Johnny Malfer who was, uh, when I was a kid growing up, he was, uh, he was a local, uh, you know, going to move on and be a good fighter. Ended up fighting, fought for the British title, fought people like Chris Eubank. Mm. Watson, Collins, wow. um, fought uh, Nigel Benn yeah. in that time. Fought All the great glittering Errol era. Bobber, Graham. Yeah. Fought these guys for the British title, fought for the European title, intercontinental titles, that kind of thing. And was right there. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, a storied career. So what he's, so, he's sort of like 12 stone in Europe. Yeah, he was a, he was a welterweight, I yeah. think. And I'm a big heavyweight. And he said to me, well, everybody knows me as Oppo, as a nickname. Oppo, he said, I'm fighting a big dude the weekend. He said, come in and do a bit of sparring with me. <laughs> And I've got, I'm all geared up. I've got the headgear on, and we've got everything on. And I'm just trying to, you know, and and he's tapping and messing around, and uh, but I'm trying to stand on his toe so I could hit him. Yeah. And and, um, and I just couldn't get near him. And he was just, and and that was that was fun. So he's he's he was a Gloucester guy. So we're so very lo- lonely sport boxing by comparison to team sports, yeah, isn't I'm it? Sure. I, I mean, hard. the road work they've got to do, and yeah, you know, I got to know, I got to know some different boxers over the years. Nobody that. Francis Kelly was a local chap here uh, who, who fought for the British title once or twice, ran a boxing gym in Grosvenor, uh, what used to be the Grosvenor Boxing Club, Wadden Boys Club years ago. You get to know these people and, um, yeah, it's a lonely industry. It's a lonely, lonely You're in there on your own in the ring where you've at least got your, your fellow linemen you around you a, and stuff. And... You've got to have a huge amount of mental strength. When I, when, when I played, you, you get you do your gym work, you're doing with, with like-minded guys, you know. Yeah. Even when I go to the gym as an as, as, when I was in, in most of my career as an amateur, well, all of my career pretty much. But you go to a gym, you have a, a routine that you've got to get on with, and, but there's other people around you. Yeah, uh, I'm sure that's the case in boxing, some of it. But uh, it's it, it you you I just think it's a hugely mental, much more of a mental game boxing than um, yeah. than most other sports. Arguably the hardest game in the world, you know. Yeah, it's tough. It's a tough. It's a tough life, and there was the physical repercussions as well. As Adam Harper, I mentioned around here from Tewkesbury, lo- right. local to Cheltenham, had to retire after a, a scan after winning an English title. Lovely guy, still, you know, very young. I don't know, he's thirty one, thirty two. It's a real shame for that, yeah. that young man, and and you wish him all the best. But his bat, he's got battles now dealing with that. Yeah. You know? Well, because that's the thing, you've not been a professional. You never had to go through that transition out of the game, which I think professionals in boxing... Well, they, they say when the floodlights fade for some people, and we, you know, we yeah. see it all too often with, with some people that are right up at the, the highest level. But I, I wonder sometimes about the guys that play at that mid-range level. Yeah. The, the, you know, the Cheltenham Town footballers are exceptional at what they do, but when they move on... You need a career. A career a, playing yeah. sport, and you're, you're done at 34, 35, and they don't have the rewards, perhaps. They've got to go still pay the mortgage. Yeah. And you wonder about that in yeah. some cases. Yeah, and your loss of identity and, and things like that. It's, it's difficult. difficult. When I... but, but physically, you, you, you're obviously going to the gym still, but you're very sharp mentally. Was that ever a concern? Because obviously a lot in the States about NFL and concussion and I things think like it's, that. I think at the time you don't, you don't consider it. You just no. want to play. And I don't think sportsmen consider it now. Yes, it's true. Do I you think, think you were concussed at... Oh, lot. many times, yeah. yeah. Many, many, I mean, many times I can remember coming off, I remember getting, I mean, one occasion I remember doing my belt up before we went out to play, and the next thing I know it's Wednesday afternoon, and I'm sat in a hotel room. Wow. So I, I lost, you know, the rest, I lost all of the game, and this happened in the end of the third quarter. So you knocked out cold, were you? No, I was no. just, I came off the field with this temporary amnesia, I didn't know what was going on, I walked off the wow. field, but um, I have no memory of the game, Yeah. Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, until about lunchtime. <laughs> Um, 
I was never knocked out cold, but I have walked into the wrong huddle a few times. Really? You get your bell rung, and, yeah. and, and now, nowadays they're very aware <laughs> of that. But um, the wrong you, you went to the team's huddle? I did, yeah, a few times. I mean, you, they call it getting your bell rung, and um, you, know, you get up and you kind of... You, you, one of the things in, in a contact sport is you don't want to show people that you're hurt. Yeah. So you, you pop up and you stroll to where you see a haze of people and you stroll to a group. Yeah when they huddle up and that group was not think, my did, group did the helmets make it worse because there's some speculation in the states that the helmets aren't don't help i don't it. think so i think i think the difference is in the, the sports i think pe- people always uh, uh, compare rugby and gridiron yeah um they're completely different sports for me one is a contact sport one is a collision sport for me rugby now rugby union now it's the hardest game in the world. It, yeah. they're, they're these physical athletes that can move around non-stop for eighty big, minutes. Big, yeah. I mean, big like like Healy, the the, the prop that plays for Ireland, Healy, moving yeah. around so quickly and and doing it time and time and time. Now, There's no stop for recovery. Yeah, they're conditioned to do that physically, in terms of their muscle strength and their their cardiovascular strength, but their mental strength, the the pounding is is difficult. American football is a contact, is a collision sport. Stop start. It's more of a collision sport. You, yeah, you know. The, the linemen are fighting in the trenches, you know, the, yeah. the, the line of scrimmage is a trench. I think that's the hardest part of the game because that's a war of attrition. Mm. It's also the only... You don't get glory, do you, really, well, from the fans? The, you, you get glory in, in as much as that the, the, it's the only position on the team where the word man is used. Yeah. You know, all the other dudes are line backers <laughs> or wide receivers or running yeah. backs. We're line men. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and we fight in this trench and we create space. And, and the teams the appreciate people it, the players appreciate you. Yeah, yeah, you're the engine room, you're the ones that are revered and considered and they, everybody loves you. Um, why, why, why in American football, with the forward pass is the difference from rugby, when they throw it forward, you never see, it's probably because you said the specificity of roles, they never see them then try and pass it again. Like you can throw it back to oh, you, can, can't yeah. you, if you want to. As long as it's backwards. But you yeah. always see the receiver hold the ball and then just get it down. Because, because it's, it's a game of possession. Yeah. Possession is everything. So they're just worried that so, they yeah, No, don't just do your job, yeah. catch the ball, take the yardage, we'll regroup and do it again. Yeah. Especially... I you mean, see occasionally trick it, plays occasionally. At the end of games when you're desperate to move something forward or you, you know, there's a, you, 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 it's first and 30... And you've got to get a yeah. first down. Oh, it's third and 30. You've got to get a first down. So you'll pass a lateral ball. Um, that guy will come around there and he'll you know, pass yeah. it back to him. But it's not used to doing that. So no, because it's the ball is gold. Yeah. The football it's is a gold. harder Possession ball to pass gold. than a rugby ball, do you think? It's, it, terms it's of... a smaller ball. It's yeah. more designed for throwing yeah. than, than, than a rugby ball. It's sleeker. It's more streamlined. Yeah. Um, but it's, um, I mean, the kit, some of these, you know, Great receivers in the old days just just had their hands. There yeah. was a thing called stickum, which they used to use. But now there are gloves that you 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 can put two fingers on a football and pick the ball. Up. <laughs> I mean, they're they're just you know people talk about the the Odell Beckhams and these superstar receivers that can catch balls one hand. Yeah. But all they've got to do is put their hand on the ball. That makes sense. Interesting. Yeah. They're not catching the ball. Yeah. Now I'm not taking anything away from them. They've got to be athletic enough to do that. But it's a little different nowadays. No, um, yeah, so I don't, I don't think the helmet wearing a football helmet and pads makes any difference to the way the sports no. play. You do you you don't feel invincible. You do get hurt, but the game's different. The game mm. is a collision sport. Rugby's not a collision sport. It's it's a harder sport because it's it's full contact. Yeah, but the, the collisions are every time. Yeah, yeah. I mean the collisions are huge, and I and I respect that. But if you watch the NFL level of play, some of those collisions are. And also, most it's NFL the players... They're tackling a bit different in the NFL now, aren't they? They're they, going lower, they right? There's a lot of crossover training and coaching yeah. now because 
NFL players, a lot of them can't tackle. Yeah. They can hit, but they yeah. can't tackle. No. Now, rugby players can tackle, so you'll get rugby coaches going to the... Wrap around the legs. and Yeah, they teach you. So, so they try and take what they can from rugby. You can't tackle the same way, but you can still teach, hit, wrap, run your feet. Mm. Where in American football, rugby coaches want to know about the... The, the, how do you get how do you change directions quickly the change of direction mm. skills the redirection skills how can you put yourself in a position to do that that quickly yeah um, and so there's a lot of crossover training and crossover uh, conversations about bringing different coaches into different environments and and, and long may that continue you know it's, it's I was a football coach the last I mean I'm not now but I coached when I stopped coached playing. Gloucester team didn't you I coached the Gloucester Gladiators for two seasons Bristol Aztecs for ten years um, uh, Bristol was where I made my um, sort of reputation as a coach also coached the British I was a positional coach an offensive line coach for the British national team for five years winning a European title in 2004 which I'm very proud of wow. um, but you 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 can make if you have the right attitude to coaching yeah. and you treat it you structure and you bring a little discipline a little bit of fun but structure is the main thing you can do an awful lot with 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 Especially in, in, in American football, with, with talented individuals, they just need structure. Yeah, you know? and that, that specificity of roles and how it all, but it's a, it's a fascinating mm. game. It's very military like as well, isn't it? The aerial attack and the ground attack. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, takes a lot of your, it takes a lot of your time. I'm done with it now, and I have been for a few years, and I'm happy with that. Yeah. I'm just a keen fan now, goes and watches the odd game. and Lost the rugby, the NFL. Yeah, I love that. Cheltenham we, Town we, football is soccer. Yeah, I love that. It. We go down, I, I go down to Cheltenham a little bit. and Because um, Mark Kuzner from the club put me put us in touch. Yeah, Mark's an old an old friend. I actually worked with his father, uh, Andy. Yeah. Um, and then Mark, when, when Mark was a little younger, he was a, a little, we were sort of slightly different characters. He was the <laughs> sort of man about town, but he's a delightful <laughs> human being. He's got a lovely wife and a, and, and a nice family, and he's, he's a nice guy, yeah. <laughs> he is a very nice guy. I appreciate him putting in touch with a great... Great to chat to you. When you finally reflect on it all, because this podcast is called Sport and Life, and almost for me trying to figure out why I'm obsessed with sport sure, in my thirties sure. still, and what we get out of it, what the life lessons are. What do you? How do you think sport in American football in particular has helped your your life? I think it's. I think it's. Um, it's given me, uh, and it's given me things that I never thought would happen. I'm a. I'm a young kid from Cheltenham um that wasn't particularly good in anything but just was 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 okay at some things they got an opportunity to play in front of 35,000 people on many occasions yeah got an opportunity to go and play and meet people and be around a professional environment so that i feel proud of i feel hugely lucky that i was able to do mm. i'm just a guy that earned a living as a bricklayer and was married and and is married and so so i feel privileged for that and i think it 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 also it also gives you a perspective on life for living. Yeah. And you shouldn't not do something because you're worried about getting hurt, worried about paying the bills, worried about... They've got to be responsible, I understand. Yeah, it's a balance. Life, life's for living. Mm. And um, sometimes don't chase the rainbow all the time. Just be content, find a balance that means you can live your life Work on and, the, and, and do some other work stuff. Work on the too. next bench press each step at a oh, time. Yeah, well, that, maybe I wish I hadn't bench pressed so much. <laughs> well, you said that anyone could, yeah, you're nothing special to do uh, 100k 35 but I'm a times. Bit, I, listen, I have a raw materials there. Yeah. You know, I'm, I mean, it's a big fella. And, it's you know, nature I'm, and nurture, isn't it? You it work, was, work what you've got and work If I hadn't found sport, I'd probably be, I don't know, I'd be on those, one of those, you've got to take the wall down to get him out of the house, dude. You know, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about that. But I. Yeah, I think sport gave me an op- gave a big man an opportunity to be healthy and, and active and do well at things. Yeah. Um, and it's all types of sports. 
I'm, I'm a big fan of all types of sport. Um, I watch sport on TV. I love, I love the athletics. I love boxing. I enjoy, you know, things like netball, watching the netball on the TV. I know it's a bit odd, but Did it's you like the mastery, the skill of it? and the... I, I play golf, you know. I'm, yeah. I'm a golfer now, and um, I'm not particularly good or bad. I play off 18, handicap. You need a bit of time I'm to get okay. golf, don't you? Now you're retired. It's... Well, I can only play in the summer because I can't walk. I, because of the, one of the legacies of the sport, if you like, and the job is that I struggle to, to cover... I can walk 18 holes of golf, but I would struggle for three or four days afterwards with, with cramps and with issues in my lower back. Yeah. So I tend to play in the summer, jump on a buggy. Nice. And I don't beat myself up about that because life's for living. I've done yeah, my time. Yeah, yeah, It's time to enjoy you accept, myself. You learn yeah. acceptance of what you are and what you're not. Yeah, kind of stuff. yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah, very much so. Been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ed. Appreciate yeah, the podcast. Yeah. And uh, we'll keep it. We'll, hopefully, anyone that's a Cheltenham Town well, fan or a Gloucester fan will see you around as well. You're, not, you're hard to miss in your I'm big just truck. A, big I'm man just a, a big truck guy, and I'm a, I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to talk about my sort of sporting life and my history a little bit. It's Mate, been great. Yeah. Awesome. Thank it's you. Amazing story. Thank you.